0: One of the things that is so important to the assurance that we as believers have in Christ is that God uh, gives us a true understanding of what his purpose is in our salvation and how he accomplishes that purpose in and by the person and work of Christ. And I know as we go through our lives and read the scripture and, and, and experience things in life, there are many things that we cannot explain in its intricacy. We know, we know, for example, that all things work together for good to them that love God, who are the called according to his purpose. And we know his purpose is to glorify himself. So we know this, that it, whatever it is, whether uh, in our experience of it, whether it's good or bad, we know it's going, in some way it's going to work to the glory of God. And if we're in Christ, forgiven of our sins through his blood and, and clothed in his righteousness, if we're in him, it's going to work for our eternal good. And so we rest in that. And that doesn't take away the pain and the sorrow. doesn't take away the the misgivings that we have. And even the sinful thoughts that we may have through it, doubts, you know how it goes. We're fighting the flesh. We're in a warfare. But God has given us an understanding. And that understanding comes to us by his spirit through his word. And that's what I want us to look at this morning in Nehemiah chapter 8. You know, Nehemiah... uh, he was, uh, you know, you remember this, this is the time when the Jews had been in captive to Babylon for 70 years and then they had been delivered uh, by God's agent, which uh, an unwitting agent, a heathen king named Cyrus, delivered from that captivity and allowed to come back to uh, Jerusalem and Judah. And they, there were three waves of people that they came back. The first one was under a man... <clears throat> named Zerubbabel. And you remember we talked about Zerubbabel. He was in the line of the kings of Judah. He wasn't a king because he was he they were conquered. And they were he was made governor of Judea. And but he was in the line of David, the line the line of Judah and he was a type of Christ. And along with him came Ezra the scribe who was a scribe and a priest and we read about that in the book of Ezra. And then later on in the sec in, in, in another wave came uh, Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to a king. Uh, the king's name was Ah and I may not be pronouncing that right, but don't, don't dispute me on that. Be careful. <laughs> no, uh, it, most most scholars, most historians say that his his the name that we know him by when you study history was Xerxes, and that's easier to say. So. But anyway, uh, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. Now what that means, he it, it was more than him just bringing the king a cup of water. <clears throat> he had a respected position in the kingdom of the Persian king. And you're going to see uh, through this and, and then next week when we get into the book of Esther a little bit, the marvelous, sovereign providence of God, working things according to his own will. This Jewish person, this Jewish man, became cupbearer to the king. And later on, Esther, who was a Jew, she, was, she married the king, actually. So we'll, we'll talk about that later. But here's God working everything according to his purpose in preserving the Jewish nation. And why was he doing that? Because he told Abraham in a promise, In thee shall all nations be blessed. And how were all nations going to be blessed? By the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world to save God's elect. Spiritual Israel. But here's Nehemiah. He was a cupbearer. And he got word that the people that had gone back to Jerusalem, that they weren't doing what they should have done. They were to build the temple. They did that under Zerubbabel and Ezra. And then they were to build the walls of the city. And Nehemiah heard that they, they were lax on building those walls. So he asked the king, he prayed about it. The Lord burdened his heart and he asked the king for permission to go back and lead a, lead a, 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 a bunch of them back to build the walls of the city. And the king let him go. And when Ezra, and, and, and Nehemiah and Ezra now came together for this task. And the second part of the book of Ezra is about the building of the walls. Well, uh, the king sent Nehemiah to Judah as governor of the province with a mission to build the walls. And when he got there, he faced opposition. I've got in your lesson here how Samaritans, Ammonites, Arabs, Philistines, they came against him. But Nehemiah, uh, he, he set his, his heart to the task. We're going to build the walls, and uh, the walls were rebuilt within 52 days, it says in Nehemiah chapter 6. Now, Ezra and Nehemiah were contemporaries, and they, uh, they both wrote about this rebuilding of Jerusalem and, and how that occurred. So uh, all of this comes forth, and they finished the walls. And now here in Nehemiah chapter 8, Ezra leads a worship service. Praising God for his great work, for enabling them to come back to Jerusalem to build these walls. This is a work of God, Ezra said. And listen to what he says. This is after the walls are built, and here they are meant for a worship service. Look at verse 1 of Nehemiah 8. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. This is in Jerusalem. And they spoke unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses. This is the old covenant law written by Moses. And he says which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding. That that means that they were with age; they were of age to understand what was being read at least as far as the natural man can understand those things. See? And he says, Upon the first day of the seventh month, and Ezra read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. Now could you all imagine all them standing there from morning till noon? <laughs> or even farther along. And it says, Before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. This is, now there were others there with Ezra. There were other elders there. And he mentions them in verse 4. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood. That's what we've got up here. Which they had made for this purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah and Shema and Ananiah and Urijah, Hilkiah and Maaseah on his right hand and on his left hand, Pediah and Mishael and Malchiah and Hashem Hashbath, Dana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Y'all didn't think I could do that, did you? But these were elders in Israel who, uh, who attended this, this worship service. So here they are, and here's Ezra at this pulpit, reading, that's all he's doing, is reading the book of the law. And so all of this, uh, all of this coming together as he says, the crowd is one man. They were all together here. There was no dissension. And then look at verse 5. He says, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. Now above meaning he was physically higher, where they could all see him, just like I'm on this platform. That doesn't, make, that doesn't mean that I'm above you in any way as far as, as salvation or any honor. It's just here. And he says he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Now, blessing the Lord, what does that mean? It means he worshipped the Lord. It means he acknowledged the Lord. That's what we're doing. You know, when God blesses us, he adds something to us. When we bless God, we don't add anything to God. He is who he is, but we acknowledge who he is. We proclaim who He is. We honor who He is. We worship Him in spirit and in truth as He reveals Himself to us in Christ. How do we know God? How do we know who He is and what He's like? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's called the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The same Lord who created this world has saved us from our sins. And in such a way that he's both a just God and a savior. And that's how we bless him. That's how we praise him. And it says in verse six, and all the people answered, amen, amen. We're in agreement with lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. That's a, that's a posture of humility. Now, so, so the more uh, they responded in agreement, they, they uh, sanctified the Lord God in their hearts. That's what, that's what it means. Now, does it mean that every one of these people uh, were eternally and spiritually saved? No, but it means they followed the teachings of the old covenant law at this time. You're going to see that later on they forsook all the teachings. But at this time, so look at verse 7. It said, also Jeshua, now that's Joshua, the high priest, and Bani, and Sherebiah, Jamin, Aqab, Shabbatai, Hodijah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Pezaliah, and the Levites. These are the priests now. And it says, they caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book of the law distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Now, these elders, along with Ezra, these priests, they were diligent and it says they caused the people to understand the law. And it says so they read in the book of the law distinctly, clearly. And that means without adding their own words. Okay? Okay. And gave the sense, now this means they told them what it meant. So first of all, what, what you see there, first they read God's word. This is, this is the way a worship service should be. We open by reading God's word. And we read distinctly and clearly without adding our own words or our own personal ideas. And, and think about it. And then they gave the sense or the meaning. Then they preached the word. And that's what I do after we read the word. Make sure we read the word and know what it says, and then hopefully men who are who are blessed of God, gifted of God, can stand and say, "Now this is what that means. This is the this is the sense of the scripture." And I think about this. I think about what Paul wrote in First Corinthians chapter two that whenever we preach the gospel, you know, and I know preaching. Uh, Preaching the word of God is not an easy task. I'm not trying to get you to feel sorry for me or anything like that. It's a blessed task. It's, it's something that I enjoy doing. It's some, I, I, I know I don't take it lightly. I don't, I don't do it flippantly. I'm not up here to be a comedian or a jokester. I'm here to do what Ezra's doing, read the word of God and give the sense of it. <laughs> but we need to be very careful. And I always tell, for example, if if, uh, any young uh, preachers or, or teachers, I always tell them, now stay away from those hard passages that you don't, you know, you can't make out the sense of yet. You know, give it time. You know, go to the easy passages. And there are, I know the Word of God's not easy to the natural man. God has to reveal it. But I think about what Paul said here in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 1. He said, And my brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. I'm preaching God's word. And you who hear me preach, it's up to you to test me by God's word. Test the spirits. But he says, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's what the message is. That's what the message back in Nehemiah's day was in, uh, even though they may have used different words, they talk about the promised Messiah and all of that. But what I'm saying is this, this is not about me up here giving you my opinions and my ideas. That's not what I'm trying to do. Now, there may be certain passages where even believers can differ on the interpretation. Don't get me wrong. There are those. But here's what I'm telling you. No interpretation of the scripture is even close to being correct if it challenges or denies the glorious truths of the gospel of God's grace in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So whatever you you see on a particular passage, if if it doesn't support the preaching of salvation by God's grace through the blood and righteousness of Christ, his righteousness imputed, and by the the life-giving spirit uh, uh, by the sovereign work of God and not the will of man, if it doesn't support those truths of the gospel, you can forget it. That's not the right interpretation. I don't care who you are. Everything in this book from Genesis to Revelation supports the gospel that we believe, that gives God all the glory, That puts us in the dust where we belong and points sinners to the glory of Christ in his person and his righteousness, his finished work. And anything that that shades that, ignores that, or challenges that, or denies that is to be thrown out. Now, how do we know that? It's because God has come and given us an understanding. And one of the things, uh, this is why I wrote that book on scriptural interpretation, rightly dividing the word of truth. There are rules of scriptural interpretation, and people seem to uh, either don't know them or they forget them. Uh, the, the main rule of scriptural interpretation, as I see it, is, is what Christ taught. Uh, the, well, what he told the Pharisees. He said, you do search the scriptures. This is John five thirty nine, and I have that referenced in your lesson here he says you do search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life for they are they which testify of me and so what I'm telling you is that scripture interpretation has to be given by God to us from Christ and it has to lead us to Christ and the glory of his person and the power of his finished work if it doesn't doesn't lead us there what good's it going to do? That's what he told the Pharisee. He said, you read Moses. You claim to follow Moses. He said, Moses wrote of me. And then before his ascension, after his resurrection, he sat down with the disciples. And he taught them out of the scriptures the things concerning himself. Concerning his death, his burial, his resurrection, salvation by God's grace. And what he was teaching them, I believe. They knew the gospel then. He was teaching them how to preach that gospel, how to preach Christ from the Old Testament scriptures out of Moses, the Psalms, the prophets. But that's what this is all about. Now, when it says here in Nehemiah 8 that they caused them to understand what was read, I believe they were preaching the gospel. I don't believe that's a stretch. I don't believe that's uh, trying to jam something in there. It's not all stated out. But I believe it's supported by what Christ said. They're reading the book of Moses, the books of the law. And what did he say? Moses wrote of me. I believe Ezra was a gospel preacher, just like Noah, just like Abraham, just like any of those men that we, we know in the hall of faith. I believe they preached Christ. Now, what did they, what did they say? Well, the, the law was given. Why? I'm going to preach on this. In 11 o'clock the law was given to show them their sinfulness their need do you think Ezra when he read the law and these men when they stood up and and this is in a positive context now in other words they're not doing wrong here they're doing right do you think they stood up and told Israel now if we don't get busy and get obedient we'll not make it to heaven is that what you think they preached I don't think that would be commended, not even in the Old Testament, because that's not why the law was given. The Bible says Israel sought righteousness by works of the law. They didn't make it because they sought it not by faith. So I believe that they preached uh, Christ, and it's it's through Christ that we understand the Scriptures. Now, listen, spiritual understanding is a gift from God, in and by the Lord Jesus Christ, And leads us to a saving knowledge of Christ. His righteousness alone. That's what this law shows us that we have no righteousness of ourselves by our works. What does the law say? Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And what does that say? Well, based on our works, we're under the curse. But the Bible also says Christ has delivered us from the curse. Well, where was that in the law of Moses? In the sacrifices, in the priesthood, in the altar, the mercy seat. That's part of this law. You he didn't, he, didn't take him from morning till afternoon to read Ten Commandments. I'm sure those were read because that's part of it. But he read in the books of the law. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So he read all of it. Why was that? Why was the blood of lambs slain on Jewish altars? Give me an understanding. This this is what this is all about. Now, does that mean that every one of these people heard when it says that they when it says here that uh, they they. Uh, uh, calls them to understand the reading. Does that mean that everybody had a saving understanding and believed the gospel? No, but it means that it was explained to them. And they understood it as much as the natural man could. But don't you think that there was a remnant in Israel, even at this time, that God gave an understanding? You know, to have this understanding. Understanding of what? Well, it's an understanding of God. Who God is. Now, does that mean that we know every nuance, every little degree of everything about God? No, God God is so high above us. But it does mean that we, by the revelation of God, understand what God allows us to understand. What God teaches us. Think about that verse over in John chapter 6. Where it says that uh, no man can come to me uh, unless God which hath sent me draw him, Christ speaking there. And he said, if I can find it here, I'll read it to you. It says, uh, this is after he said, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh me, I will no wise cast out. In verse forty-four, he says, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, God's drawing. And I will raise him up at the last day. In verse 45. Now look. Now this is from Isaiah. So this is Old Testament testimony applied to New Testament believers. And it says, It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard, heard the gospel, and hath learned of the Father, that has been taught of the Father, Because if you listen, if I get up here and preach the gospel, all I am is just a a spokesperson. All I am is just a signpost. If you learn the gospel, if you have a saving understanding of the gospel, understand this. It's God who taught you. And he says, if God's taught you, learned of the father, how he can be both a just God and a savior, you'll come to Christ. Cometh unto me. (sighs) So that's the, that's the spiritual understanding of this. And as I said, the most important rule of, of understanding, scriptural interpretation, is the rule of Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and risen from the dead. What that means. Let me give you these things here at, at, in conclusion. Consider these things the following. Number one, the Lord Jesus Christ sends the Spirit of God to his people to give us spiritual life and to reveal himself, opening our understanding to know and believe in him. That's what he does. He opens our understanding. I've got quoted here first John five twenty. Listen to this. And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding. All right, understanding what? That we may know him that is true. That we'll know the difference between the true and living God and a false God. The true Christ and a counterfeit. The true gospel and a false gospel. So understanding him that is true. And we are in him that is true. Even in his son Jesus Christ. This is the true God. This is eternal life. Remember what Christ said in his high priestly prayer in John 17 and verse 3. Eternal life is to know God and his son whom he has sent. Here's the second thing. The word of God, even the law of Moses now, is ultimately and finally a revelation of Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead as the surety of his people. What does that mean? That means our sins imputed to him. Do we have that understanding? If we do, it's given of God. Our substitute, who took our place under the law and justice of God and died for our sins. That's an understanding. Our Redeemer, meaning He paid the debt and secured our salvation. He didn't make salvation possible. That's not what redemption's about. Redemption is about a propitiation, it's about satisfaction. That's our understanding because God has taught us. Our Life Giver, who gives us spiritual life? The Bible says we have an unction from the Holy One. That's Christ. And how does he do it? By His Spirit, sending His Spirit to raise us from the dead. That's called regeneration. We've been talking about that. And bring us to Christ. And the preserver of His people. I told some folks last Wednesday, I said, you know, you know the acrostic tulip? Total depravity, unconditional election limited atonement, uh, irresistible grace, and then we say perseverance of the saints. Well, I say tulip needs to be spelled with two Ps. Because those last two Ps, number one, it ought to be preservation of the saints. And then perseverance. Because our perseverance is based upon God preserving us unto glory. So that's it. That's the understanding. And I think about this. uh, Consider uh, what we have in the, in, uh, in the Bible in examples. Like, for example, you remember Philip, the evangelist, when he was told to go out into the desert and meet with an Ethiopian who was, standing, who was out there in his chariot reading the Scriptures. You remember what he was reading? Isaiah 53. And what was the first question that Philip asked him? Do you understand what you're reading? And the man began to read, and he said, well, now, who is this talking about? Is, is, the, is Isaiah talking about himself or somebody else? And it said, then Philip uh, opened the scriptures right where he was at, and he preached unto him Jesus, salvation by God's grace. You see that? And again, referencing, referring back to what Christ told the Pharisees. In them you think you have eternal life. They are they which testify of me. Well, here's the third thing. Spiritual understanding is given for us to know God's way of salvation in and by Christ so that we can glorify God in our lives. Believe him. That's a gift from God. That comes from the gift of understanding. Shows us how God is just to justify the ungodly based upon a righteousness That we had nothing to do with. It was all Christ and it's imputed, given to us. And from that which we have life from the dead, that we might look unto him, that we might have a spiritual understanding. And then lastly, spiritual understanding equips God's people to live for his glory in Christ. We walk by faith, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We are established with grace Our assurance of salvation, which establishes the motivation for our obedience, love, grace, and gratitude. The assurance of salvation comes not by looking within ourselves and seeing if we measure up because we don't, but by looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's the understanding that we need. And that's the understanding that Christ gives to his people. Okay.